welcome to Breakfast with Bob Z. Happy to be here. Um, Christian, in my mind, you're one of the cultural creatives in Hong Kong. Um, you've been a pioneer of so many beautiful things and successful things in Hong Kong. You've started way ahead of the curve in so many ways. You're influential in creating the Lang Kwai Fong vibe. And, um, you founded Key Club and the 97 Group. And we've worked together a bit in the past over the years. And But essentially, you are one of the people who inspire me in Hong Kong. And this is why I'm having you to have breakfast with me here in Mana Cafe in Poho. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Mm. Yeah, we have we have known each other I mean, more actively when we worked on Live Cafe, which was early two or three back in the day. Yeah, but I've seen you around on the street because you sort of kind of stick out. <laughs> and I first seen you, I think, in in Lama years before, mm. as I remember. Mm. I mean, I came I came to Hong Kong 2080, and uh, first had this 1980. Yeah, oh, sorry, <laughs> 1980, 2018, not yet. <laughs> yeah, time travel. No, 1980, uh, and I had a short stint two years as uh, Deputy Trade Commissioner for Austria, which was for me the, the ticket to get out here. It was my first job, and I was never serious about this career. And then actually with some friends, we had this crazy idea to open uh, something, a place. Similar like the Geo Vision always is, a place for people to meet. At that time, Hong Kong was a total desert. There were just, uh, in terms of Western places, there were uh, nothing outside the hotels. There were a few bars in Wan Chai and Kowloon, uh, and Jimmy's Kitchen in Central, that was it. So we saw this area behind Disco Disco, which is uh, now Lang Kwai Fong, mm. and we're dreaming to open there, and, and that's what we did eventually. That's how it all started. Right. Way back in the day. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was, uh, I, I had a very interesting partner, a young Chinese girl. She was a very smart PR uh, for Disco Disco, the very infamous nightclub on Lang Kwai Fong, um, which was a kind of Studio 54 of Hong Kong. Mm. And the only place where mm, Westerners could meet Chinese in a really relaxed way. Mm. You know, at that time it was really quite segregated. Nobody imagined today how difficult was it at that time to really have an open society. Just to date, uh, a Chinese girl for lunch was difficult at that time. Yeah, it was very different. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this was slightly before my time. I arrived in, I first started coming in the early 90s and I arrived in 92. So I never actually went to disco, disco. And mm. so by the time I arrived, Lang Kwai Fong was, was you know, buzzing and it was yeah. happening. Yeah. But what, what was always very nice in Hong Kong, it was always a very small, overseeable uh, society or, or, or group of people who knew each other. Uh, Hong Kong was never very pretentious. That's what I always liked about Hong Kong, I think, the people. One thing I truly treasure about Hong Kong, and I wonder if you concur, and that's the safety we have in this city. And with safety, walking the streets any time of the day, night, anywhere, I feel safe. That gives me peace of mind. And I'm often reminding people about that integral part of the beauty about living in Hong Kong. I think for me it has a lot to do with really the spirit of the Chinese people in Hong Kong. I think they're very kind. 
I think uh, you see it in many in many traditions. Hong Kong is a very generous society. Whenever there is a, a disaster, if it's either here or somewhere else, Hong Kong is the first one to donate huge money. And Hong Kong has donated for its own uh, uh, social institution because they were for hundreds of years, they were only financed by donations, mm -hmm. by charities. And I think this spirit uh, has created this good karma for Hong Kong, which has protected us for so long. I really, as a Buddhist, I believe instead of the government taking you money away in form of taxes to give it voluntarily creates a very different energy mm. and a better karma for a society mm. Mm. good points yeah. yeah very nice so that if i talk shortly about buddhism buddhism was on my mind since i was young i studied it i i read a lot of books about tibetan buddhism and teachers um, um, and I think it was subconsciously the reason why I chose to come to Asia, because I had this hope I would find, I would find the secret door to myself. Um, but then I got lost a little bit, you know, getting involved in the restaurant and club business. But uh, you know, it was still always my the thread I followed. Um, and soon, I think a few years into being in Hong Kong. I met my first Tibetan teacher, and uh, which really changed my life. Mm. Uh, he invited me on a pilgrimage to Nepal, where I met uh, my master. Uh, I only met him one time in my life, uh, on one day, which completely changed my life. I mean, I met him twice after that, after he passed away, he appeared to me, which sounds a little bit crazy, I know, but it was really like that. You know, I'm, very, I'm a very normal person, I'm very down to earth, I don't imagine things. He appeared to me twice at moments when I really needed him, and uh, he helped me to be here today. Amazing. Yeah. And the name of your master? Uh, is called uh, Dilgo Kinse Rinpoche. Yeah. He was one of the very old Tibetans who came out still in the 50s, mm. uh, bef before Tibet was closed and then lived in Nepal and, and uh, opened monasteries in France and in America. And he was a very beautiful man and he's reincarnated now in the same age like my kids and we're very close friends. So it's, uh, it's, it's a real relationship, you know, uh, which I have with Buddhism. Mm. Um, it's, not, it's not a philosophical thing. Uh, it's, uh, it's part of my life. Uh, it's very, it helped me to be a more happy person, it helped me to become more aware. For me, Buddhism is, uh, is not a religion, it's not a belief system, because I don't want to have to believe in something. I want to be able to test it, prove it for myself, and, and, and really feel the effects on it before I say, this is a path I want to follow, or a person I want to follow. So, um, being with my teachers is like going in a different energy. It's, it's, you can actually recognize it. I mean, and, and when you spend some time with them and you leave them again, you feel how how you leave uh, just a beautiful uh, space, you know, mm -hmm. with a, with a higher energy. But you also leave with hope and and confidence and a new vision every time. Mm. Fasting. Yeah. How often do you fast? Um, I. I don't really fast anymore. I do what I think it's called intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are different ones. So basically I eat only once or twice a day. Okay. Yeah. For me, I like to fast twice a year, sometimes three times a year. And I fast for 
minimum of 10 days mm -hmm. of no food, no liquids, just water and uh, a nice lemonade I make. Yeah. But it's leading into the fast is about one week, coming off it is about one week, 10 days. So the whole thing takes about a month and I try and do that twice a year. And when, when I fast, I get a lot of clarity, not just lighter in my body and I detox and I shed weight. And, but the energy I get and the mental clarity is, is the bonus. You know, I have a lot more energy. Yeah. I can work longer. I can be more creative. And this goes against the grain of a materialistic worldview where they think everything is made out of material. So if you don't eat, oh my God. Well, how, how do you survive? You know, where are you going to get your protein from? Where are you going to get your calcium from? But if, if we look at the world from a holistic perspective, like everything is made out of consciousness or, yeah. or spiritual or energy, then these things make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one subject I always like to bring up, and you've already touched on it, and this is the, the transformation that humanity is going through. Our humanity is becoming a lot more aware, not just about consciousness, but about what's happening in the world, in the universe, on the planet. And I like to think of it as a, an awakening or a transformation or a shift in consciousness. And I can see this growing exponentially all over the world. And I've been watching it now since I've been aware of it for about almost 30 years. What's your feeling about this change we're going through? Well, I agree with you, um, and uh, I mean, if you look around us, there are many very positive sides. There's also a lot of chaos, but let's not get into the fear mode because that's really useless. Uh, I think, I mean, if you just look at Hong Kong, uh, 10, 15 years ago, there were two, three sort of half-baking yoga studios. Now it's a yoga industry. I mean, there's tens of thousands of people doing yoga every day and it which is fantastic but it's it, it also leads them to a different lifestyle it leads them to different nutrition it leads them to different uh, patterns uh, of, of living it, and, and their focus changes um, so um, and you see it in restaurants you know uh, restaurants are really changing their off their offering I mean uh, this you find nearly everywhere. Before you had to go to really specialty stores, or really do it yourself, and people thought you're crazy. I, I remember when you opened Life, I thought it's a little bit too extreme for my taste. And then when I was first confronted with the concept of raw food, I thought, I want to eat food, not raw things. Not a rabbit. I'm not a rabbit, but uh, you know, my wife Maria was diagnosed with breast cancer five years ago, and. Uh, um, she kind of, because she wanted to deal with it, decided to first have a localized operation to remove the tumor from her breast, not, not to have a, a, a complete operation. And then she was told to do the whole thing, chemo, radiation, uh, hormone therapy, and in a way which you cannot imagine how brutal it is. I mean, you come in there to the doctor and they sit you down and say, if you don't do this, you have no chance. Then I tried to raise the point and said, you know, before we decide that, I would like to go to Europe to get a second opinion. And she said, you know, I'm just coming back from Europe from the Oncology Congress in Vienna. And, you know, all this alternative therapy is bullshit. You don't play with the life of your wife. You know, you have no right to do that. And she said it in a way that my daughter nearly wanted to kill her. I mean, I had to restrain my daughter not to jump across the desk and hit her in the face. So we left and we went to Europe 
we went to our friend Dr. Heber I mentioned earlier, who by that time lived in Europe and who knew Maria for many years and he said to her, you know, Maria, I'm not treating a cancer, I'm treating you, I'm treating Maria. So what we do is, first of all, we, we make sure that you are healthy. So we're going to put in a detox, we have done this before, you know that, and from there we will see what we need to do. And uh, your body will heal you, not me, no medicine will heal you, your body is the only, uh, the only, uh, only one who can heal you. Um, and then uh, with him and with about a dozen of doctor friends around him, most of them alternative doctors and therapists, but very knowledgeable one, uh, she had treatments for one or two years. And these doctors, you know, they take time for you, at least one hour. Mm. They talk to each other doctors. They go and study to find out new solutions. They go and travel somewhere. You know, it's unbelievable when you compare this to Hong Kong, how you're treated when you're ill. Here you're a victim of, you know, the pharma industry, which made all the doctors salespeople. And, and you know, you can't blame the doctors because they were trained in medical school that that's what they have to do. And if they do anything else, they lose their license. Our system is so sick, I don't even want to talk about it. Mm. I think it's the biggest mass murder ever in the history of the world, that every second person today is, is kind of facing cancer or chronic disease. And the only answer is get to take poison in your body. I mean, in the case of, in the case of cancer, you're asked to take mustard gas, you know? But they kill people in the First World War. It's so highly poisonous that no doctor who is would take it in his in himself. Mm, mm. Doctors, doctors actually, we really they have done market research in America. Most doctors, if they have cancer, they would go to Germany to get alternative treatment. Uh, but I, let's I, not I go into the negative yes. thing. Is because honestly, I think I believe our world is uh, somehow guided, programmed. Let's be a little bit more modern by uh, a positive principle, I would call it a divine principle. You don't need to give it one name, because as humans we have so many tribes who have chosen different names, different cultures for that divine spirit. But I think if we are honest, we all know that there's a divine spirit. You just need to look at anything, just at a tree, as the wind flowing through these buildings, everything. It's so perfect, it's unbelievable perfect, the world we're living in. So. You just wake up for one second and think about that. Just think about that in one cell, in one second, there's about 100,000 processes in one second. It's one of your cells in your body, and we have like, I don't know, 60 billions. 100 trillion. Yeah. And then we have even more enzymes working for us. Uh, we are an incredible, incredible living, living organism. A miracle. Yeah, which extends far beyond our body. And uh, I think today, through the understanding how mobile phones work, how computer works, I think we get, we also, uh, it's easy for us to understand that we are not refined within our brain, within our body, but that we are kind of a sensor of a much bigger consciousness, which plays with itself. And we all just, we're all out here to experience things, I believe. It's amazing, I, I concur, and it's often, in our society when the doctor says you have cancer that's half your death death sentence there it's a fear of cancer like we've built cancer up to be this big big monster but it actually isn't it's as you said and um, 
But if, if we looked at the universe from a consciousness perspective or from a spiritual energetic perspective, then chemotherapy and radiotherapy and all these aggressive medical systems don't make sense. But if we look at the body as a miracle made out of energy and consciousness, then alternative medicine, more gentle medicine that works with the immune system makes so much more sense. But the problem is, is we look at the world as a machine. The body is a machine made out of mechanical parts. Yeah. And that's the flaw. And I think that's why doctors have gone down this line of antibiotics and drugs and an aggressive form of therapy that works against the immune system because they see the machine like body as opposed to a fluid, miraculous consciousness body. Yeah, I think we find this confrontation, this polarity everywhere in life. It's in medicine, but it's also in technology. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm very sure that there, there's many other uh, possibilities to create energy than burning oil or, or coal. As we know, uh, we are a solar uh, planet. Everything comes from the light of the sun. So, uh, and, and that solar energy is stored in our planet and we can, we, we can get to it in a different way than just burning it and polluting our planet. Um, but I think the root problem is uh, we, we have to change our thinking about our world. Uh, and we have to, because at 400 years ago we separated philosophy, religion from science and kept science clean by saying it's all, only touching things which are material, which we can prove, which are totally clear. And then the other side, religion is a belief system, so that's for kids and old people, or kind of. Um, but when we look into old traditions, especially here being in, in, in China, uh, and everything has a very, very long tradition in philosophy and in science and in medicine and in astrology and so on. Mm. Uh, but you find this everywhere, and you find it in the West, you find it with the Aboriginal people around the world, that uh, there is no separation between science and, and the divine. Uh, and the interesting thing is there is now a lot of evidence, there's a lot of great thinkers who bring those two things together. Mm. And, uh, and we actually know since whatever, 70 years, 80 years, quantum physics was kind of formulated that the world operates on quite a different principle than, than uh, uh, normal physics is telling us. Just the scientific community hasn't really integrated in their, in their language. We're using it in their everyday products, you know, quantum physics, but uh, we are still taught to believe that everything has to be material, but this table is not material, it's an illusion, it's, uh, it's more or less empty. And, uh, and, our, and like Buddhism said, everything is created by our mind. So the problems we have in this world, they are created by our mind and we have to become responsible and the only way how to change this, we have to change our thinking. How is Maria doing now? Uh, she's a different person. Uh, in a very good way. First of all, she looks 10 years younger. She lost uh, a lot of weight and has a healthy figure again. I mean, she really looks 10 years younger. Uh, and she's, she changed her emotions a lot. And uh, basically she stopped, you know, making herself depending on other people. So she is now a person happy with herself. 
and uh, and what she's doing at the present is she's finishing a book about her transformation. Uh, the book is called Rebirth, um, um, yeah, a Buddhist approach to healing cancer, mm. and it's it's a beautiful story about her life, about her experience, uh, but also how Buddhism helped her in her transformation. Excellent. Yeah. Great news. Yeah. Thank God. And for me personally, uh, it was of course a shock first, but it was again a blessing because, you know, trying to help her and also living with her changed my lifestyle. Mm. So I start every day in my morning uh, with a glass of fresh lemon juice with warm water, then I have another glass of turmeric with pepper. Later on I have okra, which has been over overnight in water. So this is my three glasses of water I have in the morning. Uh, and of course I, I take nutrients, minerals, you know. I don't take them continuously, you know, I take one or two for a month and then I change again. I use uh, kinesiology to, to find out what is good for my body. I mean, I'm sure you know about kinesiology, which is the muscle test, which is now more and more recognized also among normal doctors that actually your body knows exactly what is good for you. So you can test anything. You can test any medicine, any supplement, if it's good for your body or not. But you can also use it for emotional work. You mentioned trust earlier. Trust for me is one of my favorite words. I have three favorite words in the English language, and that is trust, trust, and trust. Without trust, I can't operate. Without trust, I wouldn't have the courage to be doing vegan, eco-friendly foods in the heart of Hong Kong, you know, way back to 1997. So for me, I've always felt blessed to found trust. I trust in the universe. I trust in the divine. I trust in God. And since 1989, that's 27 years ago now, um, I woke up to this trust. And I've managed to apply this trust into my business, regardless of whether people understand me or think I'm crazy. Or I've always been guided by this trust in, in, in knowing that there's a bigger picture mm -hmm. and we are part of this picture. And if we act, from center, if we act from this trust in the divine, nothing comes in our way. We can we can plow through it. And I've, I've always been very interested in what I call consciousness business or conscious business. So it's applying spiritual practices, values, principles to your business from the beginning and not waiting until we become successful and become millionaires and start then giving back and doing well, okay, How can I give to society? How can I give to charity? How can I transform my business? For me, I've always had this calling to do it from the beginning, when there's zero money. So we apply values and principles to our business. And that doesn't always make economic sense. It doesn't always make financial sense. But it gives me the peace of mind. It gives me the integrity to act. And um, I've, I've always been driven by that. And um, I found doing that in Hong Kong to be challenging, to say the least. And, uh, you know, often misunderstood or underappreciated perhaps in so many ways. 
But then here we are, you know, here we are operating a beautiful concept called MANA, which as you may know is a zero food waste uh, restaurant business. So we collect all um, our food waste, all the kitchen cuttings, all the leftovers from the customers, the pulp from the juices. No organic matter goes into the rubbish. It's all collected by us. And currently we are saving 2.5 tons of food waste that would normally be thrown into the landfills or into rubbish. That's mm. 2,500 kilos of material that we donate, we give to the Hong Kong um, organic farming community. Does it make me feel guilty? Yes, and I'm hoping everyone's going to feel guilty. We have, we have 15,000 restaurants in Hong Kong yeah. and hardly anybody wants to take care of their back door. You know, Hong Kong is wonderful with the front of house. Welcome a la carte dining and, you know, Michelin star and the best chefs and look how wonderful our decoration is. But if we look at the back of their house and we see how much damage they're doing to the earth, yeah. to the planet, how much pollution they're generating, not willing to separate their waste because it adds finances to their bottom line, not willing to engage in recycling and composting, not willing to... to apply values and principles that they may have in their private life but when it comes to business uh, business is business no it doesn't make financial sense therefore we don't do it rather I've tr been trying to voice that there is another way it's not the quickest way to the bank it's more of the scenic route but at least it gives you well-being it gives you peace of mind and most importantly raises awareness yeah. and inspires change and I feel raising awareness is our bottom line. Because if you do become aware, you stop doing harm. If you become aware that um, fire burns you, you stop putting your hands in fire. Likewise, if you become aware of rubbish, everywhere you go you see rubbish. You can't stop seeing rubbish. If your mind expands with awareness, it doesn't shrink back again. So I've always felt raising awareness is a priority. Raise awareness about health, raise awareness about a spiritual lifestyle, raise awareness about the body being a miracle, raise awareness about what's happening to our natural resources, our forests, our groundwater, our freshwater, the water tables, the air. I think if people become aware of this, then they will change. Yeah, I think you've been ahead in many, in many trends about awareness, uh, about how, uh, how to, about nutrition, about this whole coffee culture, how you approached it. And I mean, some people look at you as a donkey sort, but I think even if you didn't change Hong Kong, but you created awareness. And I think uh, today, a lot of younger local people who start similar, similar small businesses, mm -hmm are following your, your example, so I think it's very important what yeah. you did. Mm. Thank you. We're starting to notice younger and younger people becoming yeah. vegan. Yeah. A lot of students are coming to us now from universities and secondary schools and, and, and they're coming almost fully aware of the impact our choice of food is not only having on our well-being yeah. and our health, but on the health of the environment. Mm. And it's so inspiring to see, you know, an 18-year-old funky student walking in wearing a t-shirt saying, you know, I'm vegan and I'm proud, you know. It's like, wow.
I think the younger generation is getting it. After all, it's them who will inherit most mm. of the pollution we're creating, we're generating. I think you and I, we're kind of okay. But what about the kids who are five and six and seven years young? And you know, I'm very optimistic about China, contrary to many people here. I see in China things are moving faster. China is more open to these kind of thinking and trends. Uh, there are more organic farms in China than anywhere around here. Uh, maybe they're not 100% organic, but they are, they are in the right direction. And I think especially the younger generation in China uh, is looking for, 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 this, for this way. Mm. One wonderful question I have for you, Christian. Do you still stand on your head every day? Nearly every day, yeah. <laughs> How do you do it? No, actually, standing on, on my head is, is second nature. You know, uh, it's for me the, the, one of the meditation I like most. Because you have to center, uh, and then, you, then your body takes over and keeps you centered. You don't have to make an effort to stay up, mm. as you know. Um, also, I learned new breathing techniques from Stephen, and uh, which are slightly different from the Buddhist breathing I, I learned before. And uh, it also helps me a lot for for meditation. Or, you know, meditation. People always think you have to sit cross-legged. The cross-legged sit, sitting and the focus on one thing, the concentration, is the beginning of meditation. Meditation should then become awareness while you do the normal things in life. You should be aware what you're doing. But the core focus will be on uh, conscious transformation, emotional transformation of people. Um, we know that like every second person is facing a chronic disease, every person is facing an emotional crisis. Each one of us has depressions, feels lost today, and I think it's getting worse and worse. And today when you see people going around playing Pokemon in this world, then I think this is very close to the end of the world, but maybe it has to get that close to that point until we transform. And uh, that's what Bruce Lipton said is, you know, in the evolution, we as living cells, we expand to a number where we become unsustainable. And before we destroy ourselves, we lift ourselves to the next level and find a new level of of becoming a new bigger organism and I think we are exactly in this process so uh, I think we have to go through this suffering uh, through this being feeling lost to all of that to find our new vision and to wake up as one organism which is planet earth and I mean I don't have to explain this to you because you have been preaching this for a long time but we really have to feel it and live it so uh, once we do that, this world is going to become a paradise. And I strongly believe in that. So I want to, for this place in Puglia, I want to bring people who are powerful, but who are lost and give them this experience because um, uh, as much as I would like to help everybody, I think it's important to approach people who can make a difference. And uh, that's what I want to do with my daughter. Uh, uh, that's our vision for the rest of our life. Beautiful, amazing. Have you heard of imaginal cells? Imaginal cells? Uh, no, enlightenment. It's me. along the. It, it's, it's it's scientific. Yeah. Um, um, it's along the line of, of biology and, and, and 
Maginal cells, we, we see them, for example, in the caterpillar before it transforms to become a butterfly. So it's a group of cells that lie dormant, but they imagine themselves to be the butterfly. But the caterpillar has nothing to do with the butterfly. The caterpillar is something that crawls and, you know, is long and it's the opposite of a butterfly. Yet there is no butterfly without the caterpillar. So these are cells that lie dormant. And when all the other cells that are the caterpillar begin to die, these imaginal cells start to wake up. And they imagine themselves to be the butterfly. And lo and behold, they eventually become the butterfly. So. I see an analogy with humanity right now. I feel the Earth planet is going through a period of decay, a period of collapse where the old worldview is crumbling. And during periods of change, we see a lot of strife, anxiety, depression, um, confusion, anger, wars. So we see this happening in 2016 today in the world. We see a lot of people fighting from fear. Um, we see greed, we see corruption in the medical system, in the political system, and in all institutions. So for me, I see this as a period of transformation, where the old worldview is collapsing, and but from within is being rebirthed, like the phoenix rising from the ashes. This consciousness worldview, this holistic worldview. And I see a lot of great beings in the last couple of hundred of years who were imaginal selves who were sitting there imagining this transformation. But now, as more and more imaginal cells increase in numbers, more and more of us wake up, more and more of us become active, cultural, creative, change makers, peaceful warriors, yeah. uh, you know, leaders. We are inspiring more and more people and our number is growing exponentially. Mm. So I think this transformation is alive and well and it can only succeed because the numbers are growing exponentially and I think we are being transformed from a caterpillar towards becoming a butterfly. And I think this shift in consciousness, this change that's happening in the world today is the beacon of light, is the most inspiring thing we can look at today. And as a result, great leaders like yourself are opening these businesses that have more consciousness in them, healing centers, and so on and so forth. There's dozens and dozens and if not hundreds of people like us now in Hong Kong. Christian Romberg, it's been a pleasure having breakfast with you and um, until we meet again. Yeah.